Foul to give for Houston. Nine tenths left. A three wins the series. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. It is March 18th, 2015, and this is the Midweek Exception. This week's episode title, Sincerely, Steve Kerr. I'm your host, John, and joining me this week is Justin. Yo, what's up? And Grant. How's everybody doing? So we are going to dive into some NBA news, and a lot has happened actually since the last episode, the 76ers, Timberwolves, Lakers, and the New York Knicks have all been eliminated. The Jazz are suddenly number one in the points allowed per game. And LeBron dished his headband. But I suppose the really ideal topic to dive into, since it's the episode title, was Steve Kerr benched uh, Steph Curry, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Bogut, Clay Thompson in the game against the Denver Nuggets. And, uh, People were not particularly happy about it, it seemed. I'll say I kind of agree with people who weren't happy. To me, this was really unnecessary. Like, I understand even more so that Iguodala and Bogut, even, but less so even with Bogut, like, pretty much Iguodala is the only one there I think you can say needs rest. Um, I agree with a lot of the statements afterwards where these guys are in their mid 20s. Uh, the generations before them have played just as much. It makes a lot more sense when you have people like Pop doing it with the older players. Uh, with the younger players, it doesn't make as much sense to me. And it, to me, it looks like Kerr trying to be that trendy new coach who is jumping on the train of resting players really unnecessarily and trying to just kind of follow in those footsteps. I like the idea of Steve Kerr like with like a pencil-thin mustache, wearing like corduroy pants, just being a hipster, trying to follow the trends. And uh, I, I mean... It's unnecessary. He doesn't have to do it. I mean, I see why he would do it, but yeah, it's it's unnecessary. These guys don't really need rest unless like all of them just asked him for rest, which would be kind of random and kind of un- very unlikely. So I don't see why he would do it, but it, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Some like, additional quotes. Jalen Rose wasn't particularly happy about it when the Cavs rested Kevin Love and the game against the Heat last night in which the Heat pretty much uh, pummeled the Cavs. And Jalen Rose went on the air prior to the game saying, have we seen the end of like great players being able to, you know, like basically not needing rest. And then Clay Thompson's dad went on to say, this is the, this is a disgrace to the fans. Healthy Steph, 26 year old doesn't play. What is going on? Why is this going on all of a sudden? You know, I'm really mixed on this to be honest. I I'm, okay with it um i think the whole the age of the team is kind of where i don't really know where i fall on this like with popovich resting his players it makes sense because they're older players but um you know when you're basically a team that's like they they already clinched a playoff spot and i i don't think it's entirely necessary for them to in the uh the game against the nuggets considering the nuggets aren't particularly good and there was nothing really for them to play in the game but you know the other on the other side of it like if you're a fan who bought a ticket to that game there's been plenty of fans coming out and 
know, emailing uh, the Warriors organization, basically saying, well, this is kind of unfair to me. I paid good money to see Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Bogut, you know, be in the starting five and play quality minutes in this game. So it's it's a weird thing where I'm not really sure where, how like, really how you remedy something like that. So there's never a uh, conflict going on. Because on one hand, if you're a coach, you do want all your guys to stay healthy, be rested up and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, if you're a fan, NBA tickets aren't cheap. I just also don't get why you had to do it all at once. Like why Kerr had to just be so blatant about it and just drop all four guys out of the lineup at one night. Why wasn't it more sporadic? Why isn't like, okay, you know, Curry sitting tonight, Bogut sit sometime next week and then slowly let more rotational players get some minutes. So I think that would help with a lot of the rotational guys too. keep, keep the confidence up going into the playoffs. And the thing is that the fans complaining only lasts for like maybe a few days, but the rest obviously lasts is, oh, it, it's a lot more lasting effects, I guess. But that's just that's just how it is. He can get over the fans arguing for like a week, but the dividends that resting gives is much so much more worth it. So, it, in his case, I'm sure he's incentivized to do it. Like in his own head, it's an incentive to rest. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm curious to see going forward if the NBA tries to do something to regulate this a bit more and not like necessarily like provide like some sort of punishment if you do rest some of your big name players like that happened to greg popovich obviously was that two or three years ago where he rested a ton of players and i think it was because it was a game on like tnt or something and uh i don't know exactly what the whole scenario was but ultimately i think it came down more so because it was a very last minute thing where he's like oh yeah we're just gonna sit tim duncan tony parker ginobili just you know don't worry about it wasn't it like they were facing the heat on tnt and they put out all of their Bench players, and it was still a very close game in the end, which is actually kind of ironic. Serge Ibaka went under knee, underwent a knee procedure that is going to put him out for four to six weeks. Um, obviously, a pretty big blow to the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. So I was wondering how you guys think that's going to affect their battle for holding on to the eighth seed. Since as of right now, they are half the game ahead of New Orleans, I think. I think it's going to be a big deal. Serge Ibaka has been pretty lights out as a shooter this year i just watching their games i feel like his his shooting is just so valuable and obviously his defense is great too so i think that's going to be a, a big loss depending on how long he's going for it also ruins their continuity uh a lot i think with already kevin durant being out for extended periods of time russell westbrook i mean has been in beast mode but he's still missed some time here and there uh, Cancer has come in and played well. Uh, Adams has really stepped stepped up, but I think it just really hurts having one of really their big three now, or now two of their big three out of the lineup, and it's going to really hurt any consistency and probably really a lot of the flow within their offense, uh, kind of going forward. I think it's such a like problematic situation that they're in because now all it means is that Russell Westbrook even has to go harder now, and I mean I imagine. Kevin Durant's due to come back in, what, maybe like one or two weeks? I could be completely mi- uh, guessing this completely wrong. But yeah, you know, I'm not entirely sure where uh, where that team kind of goes from here. I mean, it's tricky because now they do have to kind of rely on some of the, the bench guys to step up. And when Serge Ibaka really was there, you know, the only other player as of right now kind of stepping up besides... Uh, 
was it like Mitch McGarry was pretty good. But I mean, you can't rely on Mitch McGarry in the end of March and then eight like April basketball. I think that's what it comes down to. Like 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 you were saying, Durant should be back. I think a week ago, about a week ago, they said one to two weeks. So I'm guessing there's another, at least another week uh, with him on the sidelines or ramping up activity. But it really, I mean, if they let these injuries get in the way much longer, it's just going to be really tough for them. Like, I don't see how Russell Westbrook could shoulder any more of like the weight of that offense. I don't understand where a lot of their like team chemistry is going to come from just in terms of defense and rotation, things like that. Like the little things that Ibaka offers them, I think there's just going to be a lot of chaos on both sides of the ball for him. And you have to think also Scott Brooks isn't really a coach who can adjust to those kind of things. I don't really know. I guess, you know, that begs another question, which we'll save for the next segment of the show that I'll, uh, I'll throw to you. I kind of want to jump in real quick. I say Mitch McGarry is playing very well. I've been calling him Mitch McScary because he's so scary. But he's been playing very well. But I agree with Grant. You can't really depend on the guy with his lack of experience, especially in the upcoming playoffs or near the end of the season. You, you really want Serge Ibaka back as soon as possible. I think Grant might have added this to the news, but there's some stuff going on with the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, so recently, I think the the other day, it came out, it, the sources were saying that Denver's front office is dying for the team to tank, especially a post-trade deadline and then Brian Shaw firing. However, the team is apparently refusing to. Uh, and most recently, Wilson Chandler came out and said, it's tough when you're fighting together, but you're getting set up for failure. So Denver just seems to be in shambles, and I think this really reflects poorly on the organization because I think in a different taking scenario with Philadelphia, it's transparent top to bottom. They are trying to tank, and I think the players that they're building around understand that they're pieces for the future and their role players understand that they can just go out, pad stats, and possibly get a contract after their tenure in Philadelphia. However, in Denver, they still have uh, some pretty, pretty decent uh, above average NBA players who aren't wants to go out there and just completely quit on a season. And they're also older. So they're fighting for much more significant contracts and their next big contract. And so they have no desire to tank and go take it easy. And the front office is basically just trying to tell them to lose and it's not working. That's pretty messed up. Like when you really think about it, like, you know, if you're going to tank, you have to be completely transparent about it. It's like what you said, like the 76ers, at least they're being honest about the whole thing. Like, I don't think, like, they, they never outright say, like, oh, yeah, we're just going to purposely lose a ton of games. But they basically have acknowledged, like, look, we're in a position right now where we don't have very much, but we're going to build something really, really good. But you're going to have to deal with, you know, one, two, maybe three bad seasons from the uh, from the 76ers before we get ourselves into the position we kind of want to be in so we can really start moving forward yeah and then the guys like Embiid and like Nerlens understand that they are you know franchise cornerstone pieces you know in that organization they understand they're drafted high and that Philadelphia is trying to build around them versus you but then you also have more role players like a KJ McDaniels who comes in balls out on a one-year deal and is going to go get paid a pretty good amount of money this summer so I think it offers you know 
positives for both everyone in that situation. However, the Nuggets front office doesn't really understand the differences between like veteran players and you know rookies on their first deal just playing to you know develop as players whereas the nuggets are a much more of a we are established nba players we want to win games we want to be in the playoffs you know we're, we're fighting for our next uh big nba contract we're not just here to develop yeah definitely i mean like the the 76ers are such an interesting case i don't really want to go off on a tangent about this but i get even a little bit confused with what they're doing because they did trade uh michael carter williams to the bucks obviously during the uh the day of the day the uh, sorry the day of the trade deadline and then kj mcdaniels also got moved to uh houston i think it's interesting though because i mean you know, Michael Carter Williams obviously, you know, got rookie of the year and he did have some issues shooting. He he was really the only offensive option on that team. So I don't really know like what the purpose of trading him was or anything like that. And there was some weird rumors floating around that Embiid might get moved or just a lot it, it's this tanking in general is kind of a mess, I think. Like I understand it and like I actively watch teams that are tanking or not doing particularly well just because i think it's fun to watch them but uh like you're saying it's pretty messy right now i think people are really talking about tanking more um there's just and there's a lot more teams tanking at once um and actively trying to lose games uh and then you have a lot it's a lot more easy to see teams like the nuggets who scrap everything halfway through the season stop pushing for you know two spots out of the playoffs and that's you know 12th or 13th pick instead they're trying to lose as many games right towards the end and they just scrapped everything and now i mean it's just messy the players in the front office don't agree and it just it's going to reflect poorly on the nuggets and it really could have serious implications for them as an organization going forward in terms of attracting big names if this is kind of how they're treating their players and you have you know established veterans like a wilson chandler coming out speaking against their front office yeah, no, definitely. It's just a, a really, really stupid thing. Quick final note to close out the new segment. Feel free to give us a little PSA, Grant. Well, I just wanted to let everybody know that Nate Robinson is playing basketball on an NBA court again. Uh, if you're anything like me, you savor every second. His Air Jordans are gracing an NBA court in one of the 30 arenas. Uh and his day, days just seem numbered. I was really upset with how long it took for him to even get a contract. Uh, he's about to be on his second 10-day contract with the Clippers. Hopefully he gets signed for the rest of the season. We see a little playoff Nate come in and throw up 30 randomly. He's kind of hopefully filling that Jamal Crawford absence at the moment. So just uh, savor every minute because it could be his last, guys. Yeah. If I could bring up something kind of kind of related real quick is that uh, I'd like to see Nate Robinson come back and wear uh, the new Kanye shoes that are coming out. Because I don't know if you guys ever saw him on the Bulls when he played with the uh, oh yeah Yeezys. Yeah. I'd like to see him wear those, like, the new ones where they kind of look like boots. I just think it would be hilarious. That'd be great. Please, Nate. Yeah, too bad there'd just be no ankle support and he'd, like, just shatter his ankles. <laughs> the first step he, yeah. like, went out there with. Coming back from a from a pretty sweet, what he tore his ACL, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna rep those. Do it, Nate. Fashion is about sacrifice. Seriously, it is. So I suppose we're gonna move on to the next segment, which is called "Don't Look Now, But 
um, segment where we look at general trends going on in the NBA, whether they are positive or negative or anything like that. So, Justin, do you want to kick us off with your don't look now? Sure, why not? So I brought up uh, Rudy Gobert had 22 rebounds last night when they faced the Charlotte Hornets. And the the Hornets shot 0% at the rim when he was in the paint. So obviously, God, goat, whatever you want to say. Uh, Rudy Gobert has been a guy we've been talking about a lot. I feel like we talked about him a lot before a lot of other people started talking about him. And he is just damn good. Like, he's just got it all. He's, He's like Hassan Whiteside to me if Hassan Whiteside was a good person. But I know that's kind of a stretch, but I'm, I'm kind of joking. But, man, I mean, I went to the Bulls-Jazz game, and even though that was a horrible game to go to because the Bulls played so bad, dude, Rudy Gobert is just – he's the truth. He's, he's very good. I'm very happy for him that he's getting this bit of success now. Yeah, and, like, post-All-Star break, the Jazz have been playing really, really well. Like – like surprisingly well. I mean, I don't know if I'm like, if I'm selling them short or anything like that, but you know, you have to think that Rudy Gobert playing so like, exceptionally good basketball as of lately is definitely a contributing factor to that team. Uh, kind of turning it up. Like, wasn't there some crazy stat that kind of came out where they had like one of the better records like post All Star break? Like, not necessarily like, the best record, but at least like top three, top five or something like that. I mean, yeah, they've. It's uh, it, I think it was efficiency. It was uh, I wish I remember who it was last, but it was like the Raptors or the the Wizards that were ranking down low, and they basically swapped places with the Jazz, and the Jazz were had efficiency uh up there in both offense and defense. I know we're talking about Gobert though, but we should shout out Gordon Hayward really quick because yeah. um, okay, I'm just a quick yes or no answer. We're not going to get off on a tangent. Is Gordon Hayward a franchise player? John? Yes. Justin? Uh, possibly. I think he's still got... I don't think he's at his ceiling yet, so I'd like to see... I want to see him finish this contract. I'm, I'm curious. But, I mean, if I was in the Jazz shoes, I would have given him that contract. But is he a franchise player, yes or no? <laughs> uh, yes, sure. It's funny because Ayush and I literally just had this con- not this conversation exactly but a similar conversation a couple of weeks ago where we're talking about the best small forwards in the nba and i was you know putting on my typical argument for Kawhi leonard being one of the best and then i usually like nah man like gordon hayward you gotta put him up there he's better than Kawhi. and like while i don't think they're typical they're, they're terribly similar players by an extent like i never really recognized how good he really is Dude can shoot it and he can throw it down. He's Seriously. very, he's like white LeBron James, basically. I mean, obviously not that good, as good as LeBron James, but I think his play style is kind of similar. I, mean, I can see that, yeah, to a far lesser degree. He's not like overpowering people, but exactly. in terms of he, he is a jack of all trades, not unlike LeBron. Yes, I was not saying that he is as good as LeBron James, but different color skin. I was not saying that. But he's he's similar. I think he's similar to LeBron James. We just got to start looking for like weird parallels between the two now. So maybe that's our homework before the next episode is to go looking for similar stats in like similar years for their uh, time in the NPA. And then it'll all be perfect if he ends up going to Miami or something like that at some point. Well, 
I already thought of one. LeBron James did not wear a headband yesterday. Mm. And Gordon Hayward also did not wear a headband yesterday. No, that's true. I mean, that puts... Gordon Hayward and LeBron James are similar because of that, but that means that a lot of other players, except for like Jason Terry, Corey Brewer, Josh Smith... I think LeBron maybe got hair plugs just so his hair could resemble the greatness of Gordon Hayward's. Ooh. I think I think that's the plan. He's he's coming. He's going up to his like hair specialist, and he's like, "Give me this hair," and it's a picture of Gordon Hayward. <laughs> so, John, I'm gonna let you do your "Don't Look Now" first because you came up with this before I completely copied it. So you should go for it. Sure. So I think like. This has been kind of an ongoing don't look now thing, or at least, I don't know, kind of an ongoing segment for us where we talk about the various divisions and their like eighth seed, um, or conferences rather, and their eighth seed stuff. But right now, the East is very, very interesting looking at that seventh and eighth seed. Um, the Pacers, the Heat, the Celtics, and the Hornets are all kind of just hanging in there battling for the seventh and eighth seed um as of today the pacers hold the seventh seed heater at the eighth seed the celtics i have a similar record 30 and 36 to the pacers and the heat so i really didn't work out like any like specific stuff between like, the teams and like, who's beaten who more times but it's definitely just a complete battle down there at the very very bottom of the uh playoff seeding in the eastern conference and uh you know, it's, it's definitely interesting to kind of look at this because I think the Pacers definitely will make it into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, just the most interesting battle, I think, is going to be between Celtics and Heat on who can get the, you know, get a spot in the playoffs. I mean, if nothing less, it's just making for great basketball. At the bottom of the Eastern Conference where, you know, both the teams tied for 7th, 8th, and ninth place are at 30 and 36. They're still putting out great basketball, really, really competitive basketball. And it's making this race fun. Like, yeah, it doesn't have the draw of the ridiculously inflated records of the great teams in the Western Conference, but we're still getting these great matchups. Like, I've been saying forever now, I hope Indy ends up with the eight seed just to see an Indiana-Atlanta reversal of roles rematch from last year. And then you got a team like the Celtics with Isaiah Thomas totally rejuvenated. He's been on a tear since his time in a, like in a Celtics uniform. It's really, it's just up, I think the trade deadline helped up the competitive value of the bottom of the Eastern Conference, especially because you've got it, Miami who loses Chris Bosh but gains Dragic. you got Boston who is got a great coach in Brad Stevens, but then adding a perfect guard for him in Isaiah Thomas, who can just he was shooting lights out and just creating everything for that team. Uh, just really great basketball to watch at the moment. Definitely, is it kind of a unanimous decision amongst all of us that the Hornets probably don't make the playoffs, even though they are at twenty nine thirty six, just outside of being within the uh, seventh and eighth seed. I yeah, like, I feel like Hornets I, don't make it. No, I've said from the beginning of the season the Hornets will not make it. Um, well, they went on a ten-game losing streak early in the season, and I preached that you can't lose ten games in a row and make the NBA playoffs. So I'd really actually like to see. I feel like the Pacers were close and the Celtics were close at some point during the year, but I don't know if they ended up losing ten in a row. But I really hope that statement holds valid because a ten-game losing streak 
is really absurd. Like the top two teams in these conferences have lost 13 and 14 games. Like you can't lose 10 in a row. It's crazy to look at that, that 10 game losing streak. Cause that really fucked them over, especially right now when they're playing, except for the other night when they only put up 66 points against the, uh, was that against the jazz? Yeah, was. that was against the jazz. It, it was the stifle 61 tower. to 30 at halftime. Jesus. That's insane. But the Jazz, like the Hornets outside of that, they haven't been playing terrible basketball. They haven't been playing good basketball, but not terrible basketball. I well, think... yeah, they kind of righted their ship after that 10-game losing streak. Like They looked good for a while yeah. afterwards. I mean, they've, they've dealt with injuries, but they look decent. But really, that 10-game losing streak, like you're saying, just killed them, especially now. You know, like, I almost feel bad for them because I think everyone, including myself, had really high expectations for Lance Stevenson going over there, and he hasn't done anything. Yeah, it's, he, very, it's he, very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Did, which one of you guys had him on your fantasy team? I did, but then I traded him with Chris for Kawhi Leonard. I remember that. The great trade of, like, December. I remember that going down, and wow, that seems pretty one-sided now. But, okay, just to look at that 10-game losing streak, they lost to indiana by two they lost to miami by one and then there was they lost to golden state by five they got blown out a few times obviously but there are a couple games in there that if they would have just pulled out and the two main close ones are against two teams that are directly in front of them in the standings so if either of those go the other way you're looking at a very different playoff picture so do you want to hit us with your Don't Look Now? Yes, my blatant copy of your Don't Look Now is the Don't Look Now at the Western Conference 8th seed race. Um, I think 1 through 7, um, I mean, there's going to be some juggling for seeding in there, but 1 through 7 is pretty set. Um, you've got the Clippers and the Spurs tied at 6th and 7th, 11 and a half games out, and then OKC is in the current team in eighth place uh, at 37 and 30, which is 16 and a half games out of third place or first place and uh, five games behind the seventh seed. So eight, I mean, I don't think any team is making up those five seeds, um, but I, there's been a lot of jockeying kind of for position over the last couple of weeks. And I mean, before the trade deadline, it looked to me at least like the Suns were a legitimate threat at that a seed and they kind of, scrapped everything uh, like they're just not basically a higher seeded nuggets they shipped away isaiah thomas and they shipped away um goran dragic and have been a slightly below 500 team since the trade deadline the real matchup to watch though or uh battle to watch is the thunder versus the pelicans pelicans are the ninth seeded team a half game back on the thunder and ever since Anthony Davis has come back from his injury, he has been playing like an absolute monster, really playing out of his mind. And now Oklahoma City just lost the second piece of their big three. So it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of weeks what happens with that eight seed. Definitely. I think the one key thing that went really, really well for the Pelicans was when Anthony Davis was out, that team was able to keep it together and play pretty good basketball. They stayed alive despite him being gone. So, I mean, if, if they do end up making the playoffs, getting that eighth seed, seventh seed, maybe, you have to give so much credit to that like team as a whole. I mean, obviously, Anthony Davis 
is arguably the best player on not even arguably he is the best player on that team one of the best players in the nba but i think the fact that they were able to like not drop a ton of games whenever davis was out like it's huge for them especially now that oklahoma city lost uh Serge Ibaka. I almost said Kendrick Perkins. And I realized I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, they lost that massive piece, Kendrick Perkins. He's been a been great for them. No, but in reality, um, I feel like Tyreek Evans pretty much earned his contract just during that uh, Anthony Davis absence because he is kind of a player that isn't getting talked about much this year. He he burst into the NBA. Like he was amazing his rookie year, took a couple sets back, steps back, dealt with injuries. But I mean, he's been playing very serviceable basketball. Uh, I mean, I think really the problem with New Orleans is they've got one too, you know, one too many like middling players. If they could, you know, trade in a couple of theirs, but Tyreek Evans has played really well, really helped out the Pelicans. And the way things are going, I'm thinking like the Pelicans are gonna somehow grab that AC. Don't think that the uh, Thunder are going to be able to hold up enough. Because even with Ibaka in the lineup, they were dropping close games. Like Westbrook was playing out of his mind, but they were being pushed to the brink in a lot of games and dropping some close ones. And I think that just might put him over the edge. And with Anthony Davis coming back and looking kind of better than ever somehow after this injury, I mean, I can see them getting on a, a decent roll coming towards the end of the season. Definitely. Justin, who do you think can get the seed? Thunder or Pelicans? I think it's going to be the Thunder. I feel like they're too good to fail. I mean, I just don't trust the Pelicans outside of Anthony Davis, to be honest. I think Anthony Davis is good. I don't think he's at that point yet where he's going to carry his team to the playoffs, though. And honestly, I just think Russell Westbrook is the Brody is best Brook. So I'm going to give it to the Thunder right now. I'd be inclined to give it to the Pelicans. But it's going to be so close, I think, at the end of the season. But I don't know. I think just the the lack of like continuity with the Thunder this season. I think with Durant being out, then Westbrook missing, you know, a few games, and then Abaka now being gone. I mean, they did do a really good job at the trade deadline, basically building a bench from that. But I think it's just like I'd say it's like or like you know too little, too late kind of a thing. But I don't know. It's definitely really interesting how the uh, the Western Conference pans out, though, especially the bottom half of it. I th- will be will be really interesting. I think. All right, John. I know I just said that I'm picking the Pelicans, and I'm sticking with that. But give me 30 seconds to convince you why the Pelicans will not be able to get the A seed. I I will allow you 30 seconds. Golden State twice, Houston twice, Clippers, Phoenix twice, Portland once. Um, a decent Sacramento team, uh, the Spurs once, and they've got basically three cakewalks the rest of the year in uh, the Lakers and the Timberwolves twice. Otherwise, the only non-Western Conference team they play is Milwaukee, and that's tonight, and that is certainly not a cakewalk because Milwaukee is one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. Jeez. The more I think about that, that is pretty rough. Do you have the Thunder schedule uh all right, I got it, actually. So from here on out, it is Boston, Atlanta, Miami, Los Angeles, San Antonio, Utah, Phoenix, Dallas, Memphis, Houston, San Antonio, Sacramento, Indiana, Portland, Minnesota. So between the two, I think, you know what? The more I think about it, 
the Thunder have an easier schedule from here on out. I mean, granted, they do lose Ibaka. It's going to be a lot of Russell Westbrook when that team on his back. Kevin Durant will be back also. So they, they could be, for all I know, okay during, during this stretch. So this is why I have to look at these things beforehand, though, I think. I mean, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stick with my Pelicans pick just because you know I did that. I'm gonna stick with it. I still think they definitely can. I think Oklahoma City definitely has the easier schedule. The one thing you have to remember is teams like Boston and Indiana, who on paper are not that tough, are really scrapping for playoff seating themselves right now. So they will not be an easy out. I was gonna say I'm selling some teams short because Boston, Miami, Utah, Indiana. Those are all teams that could bring it. Yeah, even Miami. Like Miami is out, kind of with with something to prove right now. I think Dragic is out with something to prove. Um, so, really, just to to sum up that whole segment, both sides of the conferences are going to be unbelievably competitive for the next you know month. It, it's we're gonna we're up for some pretty incredible basketball and just really high. Highly competitive basketball, like from here on out, and those eight seeds, and within both conferences, are going to be really plays out. And there's going to be probably like four different teams in the next week that have gotten the eight seed and then lost it. Right, is going to be the game of the week segment where we pick games that you should watch before next week's show. I have some updated stats for you guys about the latest on how we've done with predictions. I sit at one and one now after I correctly guessed that the Cavs would beat the Spurs. His one and one as well now, saying the Mavs over the Clippers. IU, she's not with us today. Uh, said Blazers over Rockets, got that right. And then Justin said Rockets over Clippers. So both him and Ayush are two and zero, oh, and our podcast now sits at six and two with predictions. So I have Ayush. to say I'm proud of Grant and I for stepping it up and. Uh, being at 500 now in predictions. Granted, we've only made two so far. I was going to say, me, Ayush, me and Ayush are putting the teams on our back. Seriously. Except for Ayush, who didn't pick one this week. Yeah, he didn't pick one. So that was, I wasn't sure how to handle that before we started taping. I was going to say, maybe I should just pick a team for him, or we should have someone else like from the from uh, our website go on and pick for him, but whatever. We'll, we'll deal with that some other day, I guess. Justin, give us your game of the week all right i picked the spurs versus the hawks coming up this sunday at 2 p.m and the thing is i feel like this is the one where i drop it because both teams are very good and both teams i think the thing is i'm gonna pick the spurs though because i feel like the spurs are starting to hit their stride more they did just lose ginobili to like an ankle injury or something right I want to say, but the thing is, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for the Spurs. I'm gonna put my chips on the table and go Spurs on this one. Cool. So you are locking in, saying the San Antonio Spurs will beat the Atlanta Hawks on Sunday. Grant, give us your game of the week. My game of the week is actually happening tomorrow night on the great network of ESPN. <laughs> um, it is the Hawks versus the Warriors, the late night game uh, at nine thirty. I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks for itself. It's the Eastern Conference leading Hawks versus the Western Conference leading Warriors. Uh, both teams with legitimate title aspirations. Um, both teams 
I don't want to say looking like locks for their respective conference finals, but looking as, you know, pretty – I mean, at least the Hawks are definitely looking like a lock. Warriors, still, if they stay healthy, I don't see who's going to beat them in seven games. Really, all in all, it's just going to be great basketball, dominated by offense. Both teams should be out looking to prove something. Um, and I think probably the Hawks are going to pull it out just because – uh, well, I think, like I said in the Google Doc, Eastern Conference all the way. I'm sick of this Eastern Conference bullshit. Um, for my game of the week, I have the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Portland Trailblazers on Saturday. Both teams sitting at number one in their conference. And um, I have to say, I think Memphis is going to take this game. Yeah, I'm not very confident in my pick, to be honest. But I'm sticking with it. I mean, really, all it does is it shows we have really competitive basketball going forward where there's just great matchups, great things to be watched. And you got to love this last month leading up to the playoffs because this is really when you start seeing playoff, hard-nosed, just good, old-fashioned basketball. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, come back next week. Find out if we made some good picks and uh, have a great week. And we'll see you next time on the Midweek Exception. You've been listening to the Midweek Exception. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Follow us on Twitter at MWException.